Well, if you'll turn your notes over, we are continuing in this series called Going Viral on the Mission of the Church. And I just want to begin by saying it is, it is so important that we do this series. Th this series matters. What we're learning in this series matters. Putting into practice what we're going over in this series matters. I mean, it, it matters to every person that you and I uh, have in our relational world, every, every person that is in this community that um, has yet to uh, come to know Jesus Christ in their life and so is still separated from God then in their sins. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who've yet to be rescued from a, a Christless eternity. And so it, it matters to every one of them this series. This series matters to our Heavenly Father who gave His very best for us in the sending of His Son to buy back human beings, those that He created in His image and gave His Son for. It, it matters to our Heavenly Father. I think this series matters more than, than we really imagine, that, that we devote ourselves to what we are learning in this series, that, that, that we, we put into practice in our daily lives, what really is the heartbeat of BSCC, that, that uh, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And then he passed that mission and that message on to his church. This matters. And so I'm so glad that you are here tonight. We're going to be learning about how relationships provide us with the greatest potential to have a spiritual influence upon people. And I want to just start by asking a few questions about how influence works. Let's think about this. If you were to get a phone call from a complete stranger who said to you, listen, you need to refinance your house and I'm the guy to do it with right now. How many of you just on the spot would sign up for that, you know? Or if you're single, if you had somebody just come up to you out, out of the blue, just a stranger, say to you, I know the person you should spend the rest of your life with. It's my cousin. And uh, I've even set up a blind date for the two of you to go out this weekend uh, as soon as uh, uh, he gets out on parole. Uh, so trust me, he's the one for you, you know. <laughs> Ladies, are you going to show up for that date? When it comes to what matters to us, our relationships, our, our finances, our, our future, rarely do we put ourselves in the hands of strangers, right? We listen to people that we trust. Friends influence friends. And if that is true in general, and I believe it is true, it is especially true when it comes to the ultimate issue of life, which is faith, which is what a person believes about God, what a person believes about eternity. And so if people are going to be reached for Jesus Christ, for the most part, they're not going to be reached by strangers. They're going to be reached by friends. They're going to be reached by people that they have a relationship with. And so there's a real important pattern in the New Testament that I want to share with you tonight. I'm just going to touch on three stories. And as I do, I'd like for you to See if you can identify, kind of pay attention to one word that is in each of these stories. So in Acts 16, it talks about how 
<clears throat> Paul is in the city of Philippi and he's sharing about Jesus with some women there. Let me read a verse, a couple of verses from the story. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us into her home. Then later in the same chapter, Paul and Silas are now in prison. We read about how they could have escaped through you know, God's work of deliverance, but they choose to stay. And when the jailer realizes that they've done that really on his account, that, that, that they, they did that uh, for him, he, he's just in, in shock. He, he says, what must I do to be, be saved? They reply then, verse 31 and following, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. Then two chapters later in, verse, in chapter 18, Paul is now in Corinth, and we read, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. The word that occurs in all three of these stories is the word household. People in the early church in the first century, the message of Jesus spread through households. Now, we, the word household or oikos is the word in the Greek. It was used differently back then than we think of it today. It had a much broader meaning to it that everybody that was in, that, that was connected in terms of family ties, vocational ties, financial ties, would have been considered a part of a person's household. So the circle of people that you, you know, live with and you play with and you work with and you, you relate to all would be considered a, a person's household or, or oikos. And again, this is how the message of Jesus Christ spread. The message of Jesus goes viral today the very same way. When a follower of Jesus decides that they truly do believe that Jesus is the fullness of life, that he provides the fullness of life, they then begin to reach out and influence people within their web of relationships, just one life at a time. This, this is how it's happened for 2,000 years. This is how it continues to happen in our day. But there is a problem, and I would say it's a big problem. Far too many churches are filled with Christians who spend virtually all of their relational time with other Christians. So they have no relationships with non-believers. Joe Aldridge, who has studied this very extensively, writes this. After being a Christian for two years, the average Christian no longer has a single significant relationship with a non-believer. This is not a good thing. This is not God's will. This is something, BSCC, that we need to be very inspired and intentional about not allowing to happen in our lives. The challenge, especially if you've been a Christian for very long, is to make sure you get yourself regularly around people who matter to God, but to whom God may not yet really matter to them. 
as you do, just anticipate they're going to say some things and do some things that make you uncomfortable. That's kind of a part of it. But as you pray and as you are deliberate about building relationships with non-believers, I'm going to tell you it's one of the most rewarding experiences that you will ever have. Why is that? Because you're going to be growing on the inside. You're going to be becoming like Jesus Christ. So I want to share three ideas for being relational with you tonight in sort of the next step in this series of e e equipping um, BSCCers, all followers of Jesus, to, to be on mission. But first I want to make two important points about this idea of building relationships with non-believers. The first point is this. There's no such thing as a spiritually mature person that is not passionate about reaching lost people for Jesus Christ. You cannot love Jesus and not love those whom he loved. And he loves the lost wandering person. He leaves the 99 to go after the one. He searches the entire house for the one lost coin. He waits anxiously eager to run down the path and embrace the prodigal daughter, the prodigal son. This is the heart of God, you see. So, spiritual growth and maturity and increasing in my passion to make a difference and influence people that have yet to come to Jesus Christ, they go together hand in glove. That is so important for us to, to understand. Second then, we don't build relationships with non-believers just so we can help them make a spiritual decision. We love them just because they're people who matter to God, whether they ever make a decision for Jesus or not, you see. Non-believers, just like followers of Jesus, can tell when somebody's being genuine or not. But let me also add, if I genuinely do care about a non-believer, and I do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then the greatest desire of my heart would be to see that person come to a place of, of committing their life to Christ and receiving His grace and salvation into their life, you see. So, with those two points in our minds and hearts, I want to share three ideas for building relationships with non-believers so that we can help in you know, making a spiritual and eternal impact in their lives. And the first one is this, to throw a Matthew party. I, I mentioned this party last week. I want to elaborate on it a little bit tonight. So Matthew was a part of the most hated profession of his day, which was uh, tax collectors. And the reason why is because Rome allowed Jews that helped collect taxes to overtax their fellow Jews. And so they were considered the lowlifes. They were considered traitors, sellouts. And Matthew, he, he has an encounter with Jesus where he is just transformed on the inside. He's come to know the salvation that Christ provides. And he immediately then desires to share with his tax-collecting buddies and, and all of his, his relationships what he has discovered to help them discover this as well. But how is he going to do it? He thinks about it. He decides... I'm going to throw a big party, you see, because my tax collecting buddies love big parties, the more the merrier, you know, and I'm going to invite Jesus and the disciples to come as well, and his hope 
is that as they share in food and drink together, that there'll be some conversations that happen between these two groups, that, um, that there'll be some, hopefully, friendships that begin between the two groups, some, some spiritual um, uh, sparks that get ignited during the night. So let me read a little bit about how it went. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but, but sinners to repentance. And so he defends this Matthew party idea here. Now, we don't know how the party ends, but I want to speculate with you a little bit about that. I, I think the Pharisees probably left right after that because they had done what they came to do. And I think the rest of the night, the party just went great because I think God honored the party and, and the conversations and the interaction that happened. I think he was, he was you know, just working there. And so I, I picture Jesus being the last to leave then. And he kind of walks with Matthew as he, he's walking out and he, and, he, and he puts his hands on Matthew's shoulders and he just looks in his eyes and he said, Thank you for not forgetting about your old friends, Matthew. Thank you for throwing this party. You didn't know who would come. You didn't know how it would turn out. There was a lot of moving pieces here with the Pharisees and everything. There, you, there was a risk here, and you took that risk. And I just want to say, way to go, Matthew. And I want to say, Matthew, if you throw another one of these parties, you be sure and invite me because I'll be there. I'll definitely show up. And so in this story, we see that social events and activities where we mix believers and non-believers together is just a great way to introduce relationships and friendships or to, to strengthen those relationships and for spiritual seeds to be able to be planted, you see. These Matthew party ideas. And basically, they, they can come in any size, shape, or, or form, you know, that, that you can imagine and, and, and dream up. <clears throat> and so I'm going to give you some ideas just to kind of get the creative juices flowing. And I realize that some of these ideas may kind of need to be put on hold given what's going on right now in our world. But the ideas here, I just want to get some, some ideas flowing here. Golfing events, holiday parties, Neighborhood carnivals for kids. These are, these are great Matthew party types, types of activities. Block parties or smaller barbecue, backyard barbecue get-togethers, you know, with some neighbors. Camping or hiking outings, the, the, these kinds of events and activities. I read about a guy who used his baptism as a Matthew party. Great idea. He sent out invitations to family and friends who were non-believers to come to his baptism, even paid for a brunch at a nearby hotel for those who attended. He had family members fly in from out of state for the event. He said he had, he had friends from all over the metro Chicago area drive in for his baptism. And so at the reception afterwards, he just got up and thanked everybody, and then he shared with them the story of why he gave his life to Jesus and what that has meant to him. He said he had just some wonderful spiritual conversations with those who attended afterwards. Just a, I mean, the sky is the limit when we think about, you know, 
being creative and coming up with ideas to throw Matthew parties. And let me just say, we don't just do this individually as Christ followers, but we do it together as well. These on the, we're going to be doing about a dozen on-the-move projects a couple of weeks after Easter. These, these are great Matthew party activities that we can reach out and invite you know, non-believers to come and participate. Because in our culture today, people just really, they, they thrive on volunteering. It, it means so much to them. Uh, God works in that way. We're going to be doing our Labor Day celebration again in the fall. If you've been able to come to that, just a great, fun night, wonderful Matthew party right there. We're going to be doing the 5K race and one-mile walk, which is the part I participate in for, you know, for a good cause later in the fall as well. But that's a wonderful Matthew party idea as well. I just challenge all of us Christ followers to pray about this first idea. Get together with some BSC Sears and brainstorm, but then... Take a risk. Host a Matthew party. See what God does. I am very confident he will show up. He will be there. Okay. Here's a second idea for building relationships with non-believers to, to, that will make a difference. It's just to take advantage of everyday activities. So I think we have a myth that if we're going to build relationships with non-believers, we're going to have to add a bunch of activities to an already busy schedule in our life. No, no, that's not the case. Instead, we need to invite and include people in those things that we're already going to be doing, that they're, they're, they're doing as well. For instance, everybody eats, right? So why not invite a non-believing you know, friends, somebody you've been praying for out to lunch now and then, you see. You're already going to be doing that. They're going to be doing that. Or ask, you know, some neighbors who, you, you know, don't have a church home, come over for, for a meal, come over for a barbecue. With the weather getting nice, all kinds of act or outdoor activities open up for, for just, you know, things you're going to be doing, golfing, tennis, biking, hiking, fishing. I mean, the list really is endless. If it's an activity you're going to be doing anyway, why not invite somebody to come along who can, you know, potentially have a spiritual influence in their life in that time together? Pray about it again, but then act on it. See what God does. Gyms, I think, typically are a good place to just build on existing relationships or form new relationships as well. So, you know, Working out with somebody can be uh, take, taking walks, um, exercising that way. If you have young children, let me mention a couple of ideas. If you have young children, you've got neighbors that have young children or maybe coworkers in the area with young children that you know, you know don't have a church home as far as you know. Uh, they don't have a faith in Christ. Say, hey, let's take turns watching each other's kids. That's a kind of a double bonus there. You get a night out, plus you're building relationships right there giving God an opportunity to work. Also, if you've got young children, look to connect relationally with the families of your kids' friends, you know, through ball games that they're participating in or, you know, school activities, whatever it might be, stuff like that. If you take time to think and pray about it, I'm sure you can come up with quite a long list of things you're already going to be doing and you can take advantage of those everyday activities to build relationships with non-believers. What's important is that you and I 
we're intentional about planning these times that are just natural and fit well for both us and those that we reach out to, you see. Look at this verse, Colossians 4, 5. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. That's the idea here. That we can take everyday activities that we experience and turn those into opportunities where the Holy Spirit is able to work in people's lives, people who need to know Jesus Christ. Well, I've got one more idea for being relational I want to share with you tonight, and it's this one, to befriend people as they work. Here, here's how we do this. All of us, we go to restaurants. You know, we go to the gas station. We go to the grocery store. We go to movies, things like that. And with a little forethought, those can be opportunities to share you know, God's love with people. The first step is just to approach people working in those places, not as, you know, employees to serve you, but just as human beings that matter to God, that are worthy of your love and, and attention. And when we approach people who are working with this attitude and then we frequent those places, it doesn't take too long. It's pretty easy to begin to get on a first-name basis. And then when we, over time, you know, that relationship grows as we just show a genuine interest in people. God works there in a way where many will then begin to kind of their curiosity get piqued. Why, what's different about this person? <laughs> that they actually notice me when so many customers come through here every day and don't show any care or acknowledgement of, about me at all. You see, my mom and dad are great examples of this. They go out to breakfast every morning. They've got about half a dozen restaurants in Columbia that they like to rotate, you know, going to breakfast. And I've gone several times with my mom and dad. It's so fun to watch this happen because they know, you know, who's going to wait on them. They've got two or three people that they've, they've come to know. Some of them, they, they know the, the managers and everything, and, and they, they know their story. And they'll ask about how their family's doing. And often there'll be something that comes up about a prayer request or, um, you know, there's been times where they've invited them and, and they've come to, to worship at, at my mom and dad's church or I've, I've heard them talk about, you know, ideas they had with a young single mom and her children and things like that in terms of, of being of help. Just, just, it's amazing to see as I come into the restaurant and these people see my mom and dad, their face lights up because they're like, here's somebody that actually knows me and cares about me. And I've just seen God work in this way through my mom and dad to have an influence spiritually on many people. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? We, we cannot let that happen. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. We don't want to do that. Instead, they put it out on its stand and it gives light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus tells us our attitudes and our actions will either draw people into a closer relationship with God or actually end up, you know, pushing them away from God. 
Think about this. How we relate to people in just our daily lives is able to have implications that reach all the way into eternity. What a privilege. And what a responsibility. I want to read a letter to you from a a new Christian as she wrote a letter to this older believer that had meant a lot to her. And I just read it because I'm hoping it will inspire every Christ follower in the room. She writes, you know, when we met, I began to discover a new vulnerability, a warmth, and a lack of pretense that impressed me. I saw in you a thriving spirit, no signs of internal stagnation anywhere. I could tell you were a growing person, and I liked that. I saw you had a strong self-esteem, not based on the fluff of self-help books, but on something a whole lot deeper. I saw that you live by convictions and priorities and not by, just by convenience and selfish pleasure and financial gain. And I had never met anybody like that before. I felt a depth of love and concern as you listened to me and didn't judge me. You tried to understand me. You sympathized and you celebrated with me. You demonstrated kindness and generosity, and not just to me, but to other people as well. And you stood for something. You were willing to go against the grain of society and follow what you believed to be true, no matter what people said, no matter how much it cost you. And for those reasons and a whole host of others, I found myself really wanting what you had. Now that I've become a Christian, I wanted to write to tell you I'm grateful beyond words for how you lived out your Christian life in front of me. I tell you, reading a letter like that motivates me. It inspires me to say I'm going to be dialed in to the mission that Jesus has given to me as his follower, to this high honor that every follower of Jesus has been given to be God's representative in seeking to influence people in our lives toward God, toward the good news of Jesus Christ. Next week, Tim's going to teach about being prepared for conversations that we have with non-believers. That's a key part of the gospel going viral here at BSCC as well. It's it's going to be a very helpful and empowering message. But I want to close the message tonight by asking you to do something either now or I would say even before you go to bed tonight but if not then soon and that is on your notes to write down the names of three people that you would like to influence spiritually pray about it ask God to bring those names to your mind I've done that he's brought those three to my mind and what you're going to want to do then as you identify those three people is continue to talk to God about those three people You're going to want to be talking to God about the Holy Spirit helping the hearts of those three people to become open and receptive to the grace and truth of Jesus. You're going to want to pray about having wisdom and seeking to reach out relationally to those three people. You're going to want to pray that you'll demonstrate an unconditional love and a a no-strings-attached friendship um, with those individuals. There's just so many things that you're going to want to be bringing to God about those three people. And please don't ever forget this. The Holy Spirit wants to and He will be your unseen partner. As you seek to reach out to family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors, just people in your relational world with you know, the love and grace of Jesus Christ, it's vital that we turn to God for the wisdom and the power that we need to be at work 
in those relationships. Once you've identified these three people that God wants you to influence for him, you're going to want to look for ways to be intentionally investing in those relationships. As we talked about at the start of the message, friends influence friends. Friends listens, listen to friends. So become one with some non-believers. Hear me. If we don't start there, we cannot effectively get anywhere. Because the whole disciple-making venture really is won or lost right here with relational contact. And what a privilege and honor that we have been given as followers of Christ to be used by God, to be in contact with people for the purpose of influencing them spiritually, not just in their time here on earth, but forever. It matters. It matters what we're talking about in this series. It, it matters that we live out what we're learning together in this series. For those of you who are not quite sure right now where you stand with God, I encourage you to either fill out a response card. We've got those at the tables there in the back and put that in the basket and we'll get in touch with you here. Or just, just say something to me or, or one of the other staff. We'd love to, to talk with you and help you come to know the peace and the, and the joy and the new life Life in all of its fullness that is found in our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Let's pray. I pray, God, for each BSCCer here that you would put on our hearts and minds three people that you want us to influence for you, God, that we would help others come to know the greatest joy in our lives, that you, God, love us, that you have paid the price to bring us back into relationship with you through the death of your Son on the cross, that whosoever will may come, that your word says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So God, do this work among us, in us and through us, we pray.